Welcome to the Verbal Remedy podcast. If you haven't heard of Verbal Remedy before, we're a petition signing taboo tackling blog project from the UK. And our aim is to tackle tough issues through various multimedia projects. There are hundreds of posts to sink your teeth into over on our website, which is verbalremedy.co.uk. The idea behind our podcast is simple. Over five episodes, we ask our authors and some special guests to get together and discuss ideas that mean a lot to them and stories coming up in the media. Today's theme certainly got me thinking. When my parents moved out of our childhood home in 2015, they'd lived there for 25 years. As all families seem to do, they bought it at a ludicrous time of their lives. My sister had just started secondary school and I was merely weeks away from being born. Oh, and they'd just rescued a sheepdog cross called Mac. Nobody knew what he was crossed with and the thought of him herding anything was just stupid. Denton Street was where I was born and where I became myself, but that doesn't mean it was perfect. We disappointed each other in that house. We had fights, just like every other family. We chipped paint off the walls on the stairs, slammed the doors and dug holes out of the floorboards with our chairs. Since my dad passed away in February, I've been longing for the safety of that home more than ever. I smile thinking of what ingredients I would put together to summon the feeling of being within its walls. The sound of our next door neighbours' pet pigeons mixed with a classic repeat of countdown. The smell of onions browning. And earlier, before we had double glazing, the peeling white paint around the wooden window panes, which rattled from side to side in the wind. And there he'd be, my dad, the skinny little thing that he was, rolling a cigarette at the kitchen table, the only man in the 21st century still wearing braces to hold up his trousers. When you think of home, what comes to mind? That's the question I posed my very good friend and luckily award-winning audio producer Jay Sykes a month or so ago. What does it mean for the 5% of non-UK-born residents of Sunderland where he lives? What does it mean for the students he teaches at the local university? Is it built into city walls, into bricks and mortar, or is it the people? So Jay went to find out. Should I start? the meaning of the word home home what should i say about home hmm. if i were to close my eyes and force myself to think of a possible home what does home mean to me what so does home, mean to me? home 
the meaning of the word home. When I was younger, it was yen. Home is my lazy place. It was where you lived. It was a geographical location. Home is my lazy because home place is where love is. I feel like the rest of my life what is just really, really chaotic and busy. But is it really I feel like home is more of a state of mind than a physical location. It's not that it anymore. It really doesn't feel like that. It changed as I grew up, as I got older. The meaning of the word home. What should I say about home? It doesn't matter where it is, as long as, like, you know, people you, people you love are there or pets or when whatever. When I'm there, the house is so different. Geography anymore. That I'm not sure if it is home. Feeling. The meaning of the word it's home. Peace of mind. Home uh, is my lazy place. And I left home when I, I was my 19. Home about so it's been a long ago. time since I lived in Leeds. Peace of mind. Uh, when I get home, my life I get to unwind and relax. And there's Potter about doing the cleaning as a leisure And in my pyjamas. And it's just really a place for me to be lazy. Well, harming yourself at the world. At the time you live in, it's feeling like you belong. You don't have to keep the walls up. You don't have to be in charge. You don't have to take control. You can just be you. And wherever you get that feeling, that's home. I've moved a lot of homes throughout my entire life. I've moved like 14, 15 times in my hometown. And then I moved houses like three times after coming over here. So I definitely do not relate home to a place. I relate home to people. Home is where my family is. My mom, my dad, my little brother. It's where my close friends are. So that could be literally anywhere in the world. So it's back home, it's in Alexandria, it's in Cairo, it's over here in Sunderland, it's with my friends in Manchester, it's, it's literally wherever. Anybody that I feel comfortable being myself with is, yeah, that's just how I relate home. My name is Mariam Khattab. I have 22 years old from Qahira, Mosque. And I'm in Sunderland. I'm Mariam Khattab. I'm 22 years old. And I'm originally from Cairo, Egypt. And I study journalism. I'm going to my third final year at the University of Sunderland. I used to live in Cairo when I was really young, and then I moved to Alexandria, where I lived for about 14, 15 years. And I moved a lot of houses within Alexandria. This is where I moved a lot. And then I moved back to Cairo for one year of university. Then I moved over here. I've moved a lot because of my dad's work, of our schools changing. There's always a reason why we moved. We don't just decide to get up and like move houses, but there, we've moved out a lot. <laughs> I've always wanted to be like everybody else. I have my own little house that I've grew up in. I have my little room that has all those memories and souvenirs from when I was little. But I think over the years, I, I found a lot of perks in moving out. I found that I like the change. I like seeing a lot of people, having new neighbors, having new friends, um, being in that new place and discovering new things, I guess. It's made me a different person. It's made me tolerating the changes, tolerating different places, different cultures, different stuff like that. Yeah, I think I see the perks of it now. But when I was young, it was a bit tough. But I was a kid after all, so you, you always want to have that you know, home feeling that you have that home you grow up in, just like all your friends and stuff like that. But I didn't really have that for a long time. I had a favorite house at one point. Um, it was quite a large villa. And 
we had to give it away for financial reasons. We had to sell it. And I was I was really, really mad. I wasn't mad. I was more disappointed and sad than anything. But I got it. I got the reason behind it. I was I was old enough to understand why we had to sell that house. But it was not easy at all. I loved that place. Um, ooh, I'm gonna cry a little. It was, it was my f- my first like room alone. I got to design it. I got to do everything in that room. Um, I even got to paint it a little. So when we had to leave, it was yeah, it was pretty hard to leave that place. But I got it, and our lives have changed to the better ever since because. Our financial status got better. We managed to go to universities, me and my brother now. And yeah, things have been better, but it was it was not an easy thing. I moved about a bit in the first couple of decades of life and by the time I was 21, no one was left where I'd grown up. Mum and Dad had retired and moved up to York where my dad came from. My brother and sister were long gone and pretty much all of my friends left Kent and never came back, as did I. But that place is still to some extent home in my head. But I've lived in Sunderland for more than a quarter of a century so this is my home too, where my family and friends and life is. But I also have a home because of where I grew up and went on holiday that feels like a true home to me wherever it is. Put me in any fading seaside town, slightly grimy and seedy behind the lights on the prom. A town where, as I once wrote in uh, opening to a novel, it's settling into a permanent October of decay. Put me in an Italian cafe with the coffee machine hissing, watching the waves through the windows and that feels like home too. I guess home to me is a strange one because my accent, people kind of assume my home is a certain place but I actually haven't lived in that place for, oh my goodness about 20 years I haven't actually called that place home and all my life I've moved about, I've lived in different countries, different places a few years here, eight years here two years here, from education from my jobs and I've ended up in a place where my accent doesn't fit but somehow I've ended up calling it home. So I guess it's just the place where it feels natural to you, um, perhaps where you choose to build a life. That's where home is, where you work, where your loved ones are, where your house is, where you travel back to when you go to visit. So, yeah, I guess home is a place where no matter where you go, you always just end up back there. I think that's home for me. I find myself now at a point where I own my own home and it represents to me stability, a refuge, somewhere I can go. It shows that I've, in a funny way, I've achieved something in life, that I've, I have a house. I watch today so many people that are struggling to pay rents and try to get on the ladder and I just feel so lucky at the same time I feel sorry for them. My job 
part of what I was doing was helping people who were fleeing domestic violence. We had a food bank, we operated a food bank, and we hear all kinds of stories of, of, of domestic violence. And it's it, domestic violence is about men and women. It's not just women. We, we tend to forget that. People always think that only women get beaten up. But, but men are in situations like that too, and, and they're often too embarrassed and ashamed um, because of their masculinity and the way they were brought up and so on. They don't talk about that. And um, at Christmas time, it breaks your heart. People don't just need food. It's Christmas, and their children want toys just like everybody else. The children want to feel that they're in a home just like everybody else. Even if they're sleeping on somebody's couch, even if they're sleeping in a, a shelter for um, people who have been abused, they, they're running away from very, very traumatic situations. I remember there was this woman once who came in, in tears because um, she was given shelter um, where she would be anonymous and her children and everybody would be anonymous. She used to keep the children locked up in the house and not allowed to go out into the yard to play, not out in, in the garden because sadly she was moved into a village where a relative of her ex was living there and it so happened that somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody was passing by and saw the children outside and her cover was blown and she had to immediately find some place to go with her little kiddies. And this is Christmas time and there's nowhere to go. And, you know, you hear these stories and it, it, it boils my blood when you hear people saying, oh, food banks, you know, it's, um, it's, oh, it's not a big deal. You go there and you get a bag of macaroni or something. No. People who come to food banks, sometimes they're in such a desperate situation that they can't boil that macaroni because they don't have anything to cook with or cook on. They might be lucky to have a kettle that they can boil some water and pour it on some pot noodles. They might be lucky to have a tin opener that they can open a can of beans and feed their babies. It brings me to tears. It, it really does. Sometimes people live in a goldfish bowl where life is always nicey-nicey. They have everything they want and they still want more and, and they want to go and have plastic surgery and, and get their eyebrows shaped and all that kind of stuff. And that's their goldfish bowl. Their goldfish bowl is just more like an aquarium with lots of decorations inside and they want a bigger aquarium and they want some you know, deep sea divers ornaments and this and that, and they want flashy lights or whatever. But you're still living in a blooming goldfish bowl. It's big and it's pretty, but you don't know what is happening outside of where you are. You don't go outside and you don't see people who are running for their lives. You don't see people who are really, really desperate. So you have many different kinds of goldfish bowls. You say, oh, don't come here. We have too much. We have too many people in this country already and we fill up. Yes, we're so full. Have you had a walk in the Lake District? How many people do you see when you go for a walk in, in Kielder um, Reservoir? 
We're so full. We have no place to put one more person with a baby who's just crossed an ocean thousands and thousands of miles in a little boat, a little canoe, and you can't find it in your heart to help that person after all that they've been through. Oh, because my goldfish bowl is pretty and you'll get your fingerprints on it. It gets me angry. I'm Katadin, and I'm the founder of Sunderland Literacy Aid, taking in the books that otherwise would end up in a landfill somewhere, giving the books away free of charge to different institutions, schools, public libraries, so on and so forth, which is, in my opinion, needed at the moment in Sunderland with all the cuts. There is quite a few food banks in Sunderland, but some of the asylum seekers that I got to know this year only, they had no idea about the food bank. One who is now a friend of mine who's been volunteering to teach because his English level is quite good and he's te- because he speaks maybe, I think he says seven, eight languages. He's been volunteering with them for a few months teaching English. And there's a food bank in the building where he is teaching the asylum seekers English and had no idea about it until I told him a couple of weeks ago which was funny, but in the same time, you realize how people don't know about all the opportunities that are around them unless they have somebody who's lived in the community and knows about them. Because it takes a while to get to know the place where you live in, where to go to get the food from because it's cheaper, where some, I don't know, where where to get the, the pasta from and then you get the the beans from a different place and then you get the bread from a different place because it's cheaper. That's how you save up money, especially when you don't have a job, when you don't have an income and you just live on an allowance. Refugees and immigrants and asylum seekers, we might be able to help them in other ways than just teach them the English language, the basics of the English language to help them become independent we can help them with a lot of advice and guidance that would uh, be in their benefit. Home. What should I say about home? Mm. Home. Okay. I'm ready. I think it's like something that you just create in your mind. There is no home physically. No home. It's just actually in your mind. It's only about emotion and only about the humanity. It's more about people. The people who actually you're related to the people who actually you feel you're responsible for and they feel they're responsible for you as well. That makes a family and that makes a home. If you're talking about refugees and asylum seekers, they don't even have the basic knowledge of the English language. So how are you expecting them to enjoy their time over here? In most cases, it takes years, at least two years. And during that time, they're not allowed to work they're not allowed to study. They live on allowance. They don't have access to anything. They can't, even if they're able to work and they want to study, they're not allowed to. They're just case numbers. Because you go crazy staying <laughs> in your stay in your room all day long. I I I me personally, 
I have to leave the house every day, even if it's for 45 minutes to do some food shopping. If I stay in the house, I can't even sleep at night. This I feel like, what happened today? Nothing. <laughs> so sometimes I force myself to leave the house. But imagine these people, they don't have friends, they don't have family, they don't have, they, they, they don't have anybody. I think they, they're seeing like a supervisor every two, three weeks, and that's about it. Hello, my name is Ash. I'm originally from Iran, which is in Middle East. I came to UK last year and I start from nothing. I, I did not, I did have nothing, I think. I, is it a correct sentence? I have nothing. I had nothing. And when I came here, I just knew, I didn't know anybody at, at first, but now I've got a lot of friends. I think each day, I start to find new people. It's each day a new friend. And after five months, six months, it was like dreamland. I think it was like a dream home because I couldn't imagine how fast I can find new friends, new family, new home. And it's really hard for me to leave the place now. It's really emotional for me to leave the place. I think when you feel... You are close to somebody, to someone. When you think you have a family, to say goodbye to them is always hard. It doesn't matter how far you go. It's, it's just about emotion, I believe. When this idea was first mooted, I thought, oh, that's easy. Actually, I realize it's not. Because home is where love is or should be. And as I live on my own, and it is my own home, but is it really a home? I still refer to home as my home with my mum and dad in Leeds. Uh, they are dead and um, are not here with us anymore. My sister still has the house, but when I go home, it really doesn't feel like going home. The apprehension of going back to Leeds does feel like home, but when I'm there, the house is so different in so many ways that I'm not sure if it is home anymore. And I left home when I was 19, so it's been a long time since I lived in Leeds. But I have no desire to move back to Leeds. I mean, my life has been in London for the last, gosh, 35 years or so. So moving back to Leeds, apart from my sister and my nephew, all my friends are actually, well, not just in London, but around the world. I'm still hoping to find my home, somewhere or someone to share a life with, someone to come home to, someone who's there. Things have changed. There have been hurricanes. Places have been totally wiped out. Um, businesses where I used to shop and, you know, enjoy myself and have a beer or whatever it is, go swimming, those things don't exist anymore. The people that I used to enjoy my time with are not there anymore. They moved on. Some of them gone to other countries. Some of them um, perished in the hurricane and whatever. So life changes. Everything changes. So to me, home is always a transient thing. And, and once you see it that way, you realize that the things that frighten you now or the things that you're worried about now or the things that you, you're terrified you're going to lose, are they really like that? 
I realize over the years that a lot of things that you felt were important at some stage of your life, um, as you mature and as you have different life experiences, you realize that these things are not so important anymore. I used to be fairly well off in another life. <laughs> and I had, you know, um, very expensive clothes and jewelry and, and stuff like that. And within the past few years, I, I realized, you know what, I can get hit by a bus right now. And somebody will just come and strip all my jewelry off and run off with it. And I really would like this to go to people that I love and care about. So I just gave away my jewelry, except for one or two things that I'm still wearing. It doesn't matter to me now that I'm not wearing these diamonds anymore. What's important to me is that the people that I care about know that I feel the same way about them. Now I'm poor, but yeah, I'm, I'm happily poor. <laughs> I wish I had a proper job that paid more money, but never mind. <laughs> I've been saying that for years, haven't I? <laughs> I imagine home like a dreamland, like a sea, like a wave. Like a silence. I don't know how to describe. Do you, it, would it be okay if I just say words instead of explanation? Just saying it different words. What whatever it came to my mind. All right. So I'm gonna say sea, seagulls. I'm going to say people, I'm going to say smiles, I'm going to say wooden doors, I'm going to say instruments, music, friendship. More important, the most important, humanity. Jay, what a masterpiece you've created here. A massive thank you to everybody that Jay spoke to. You can find the full list of interviewees over on our website. We've got something really exciting coming up for our final podcast of 2018, so keep an eye out on Facebook and Twitter for that. And finally, a special thank you to Sunderland Software City, who have sponsored all of our podcasts this year. You can find out more about them by visiting sunderlandsoftwarecity.com.